Listening to the coffee hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The end is near. <laughs> oh boy! Oh, yes, wait. it is. It well, comes every year, though. This is true. The end of the church year, but there, it also does point to, I suppose, perhaps the end of time as well. But we'll ask mm-hmm. the expert about that in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University Wisconsin for supporting the coffee hour. You can find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. Joining us today, the Reverend Sean Denzer. He's Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and Chaplain for us here at the International Center in St. Louis. Chaplain Denzer, thanks so much for joining us on the Coffee Hour. It's great to be here. It is always good to chat with you. Am I right? The end is near? It is close. Nigh at hand. Winter is coming also. Let's <laughs> <laughs> get all the, all the cliches out there now. All so. of them. <laughs> so the, the, some of us call it the last Sunday of the church year. It may go by other names as well, depending on your context and your background, your history. Last Sunday, the church year is probably the most common though, right? Yeah. In Latin, they always called it, and this is, I think we should just take it straight because it's pretty awesome, Dominica Ultima. Oh. It's the ultimate Sunday in the it church year. Sounds like an year. action movie. Why don't so we gonna, use that? I'm going to advocate for ultimate Sunday. I. I love it. I like it. But ultimate is just a fancy word for last. So, yeah, last Sunday of the church year, it really doesn't have a special name until kind of the 20th century. And I think our time cares about it. Maybe we saw more things that looked like the end of the world in the 20th century, whether that's World War I or atomic bombs or Cold Wars. But also, strangely, it's the time when the world kind of wanted to forget about hell and judgment mm. altogether. But but that's what the last Sundays of the church year historically and in our day still focus on. And certainly the last Sunday, the obvious time in the church year's order to think about the end things. And in the Christian church, the end times or the eschatology, the study of the last things, has to do with three different things. It has to do with the end of the world, And it has to do with the end of each of us individually, our death. And then it also has to do with the blessed estate, um, eternal life. So those three things are in our minds already from the scriptures about the last things. And then we get a chance to consider all those in the scriptures in the last Sundays of the church year. I feel like thinking about things ending may not be one of our favorite things to do as human beings, maybe, but we kind of focus on it every year at the end of this church year. Why Why is that important for us to think about those three realms of, of the end? Interesting. I've been reading a lot of Stoics lately, <laughs> um, and uh, the Stoics love to, to have us consider that cotidie uh, mori, uh, daily we die, and, okay, well, and most of death is behind <laughs> us. And Christianity has some alliances, good or bad, with Stoicism in the past. Mm. We, we have that to grapple with. But, but I don't think ultimately that we really are just Stoics with a little bit of God warmed in there. Our understanding to look at death is very different because it's not just a fading into nothingness. It's not just an end as in that's it. In fact, I even had a member in my parish who never wanted to call it a final resting place. And hmm. I think he's kind of got a decent point. It's a, it's only a temporary resting place, that grave. But the reason we traditionally have graveyards, cemeteries connected with the church is we want to know where it is I'm going to get to see grandma, my baby, my father, all these people at the last day. We want to know where they're going to rise when Christ comes. And 
that's exactly where they're going to rise, because body and soul, we will enter into eternal life. He's going to raise our bodies at the last day. In fact, he's going to raise all the bodies, but but bring me and all believers in Christ into eternal life with him. So, so very different than just thinking about the end. So, looking forward to the end, which for us as Christians is all about hope, right? Think mm-hmm. about what Paul talks about, faith, love, and hope as these three theological virtues. Hope is faith pointed to the future, pointed to the end. Well, the end of this life. But the hope part is the fact that we have the resurrection and eternal life that follows. So so that both, um, one, comforts us in grief. Two, it strengthens us when we're facing hard times right now so that we have the endurance and the patience, like our reading in chapel today, mm-hmm. to keep going on. And, and it puts us in a mind of, of how to conduct ourselves right now. Uh, one of the readings uh, traditionally for the third and fourth Sunday of Advent is fixed on this idea that the rest of the world is crazy, but we are rejoicing. And again, I say we're rejoicing. We're going to let our reasonableness be known to people. What is the thing that makes us so reasonable? And admittedly, it's a different reason than the world comes up with. Well, our reasonability comes from the fact that the Lord is at hand. He is coming and coming soon. And uh, and for us, that means we straighten up our heads and uh, and aren't afraid because we know our redemption is approaching and drawing near. So why then is it, well, I, we got to the why, it's the how. <laughs> how then do we observe this and, and remember or look forward to? It's both, right? Remember and look forward to. How do we go about that in the church here with this last Sunday of the, the well, well, we're already struggling not to talk about Advent, and yes. that's by design, too. <laughs> and, you know, th- this, I suppose, could be interpreted uh, paganly, and we don't want to do that. The idea that there's just an endless circle of life, there are a few songs on that, that it just keeps <laughs> going, that we, you know, we die and then we're reborn like a phoenix or 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 it's just an endless cycle or reincarnation. These are not Christian ideas. Maybe the phoenix was borrowed for a time. But... um. It, it just happens that Christ hasn't returned yet. That doesn't to say he isn't going to this year. There's a little time left. But unless he should come, the year will go on. There'll be a year 2022 and 2023. And, and so by necessity, the end of the church year tends to turn into the beginning of the new church year. And it does work very nice to think of a circle that's unbroken, and maybe we're coming close to the diamond or or at least the seam, but it's been covered over. So so the end of the church, you're thinking about the second coming almost exclusively of Christ, but also then our death, the last things, goes into the season of Advent. And I'm sure our listeners are aware, has this kind of three Advent focus, Christ's first coming, the incarnation, his daily coming among us in the word and in the sacraments. And the one we don't want to focus on as much in Advent anymore, but really a part of it, his second coming, the fact that we're always waiting for him to come, and yet we know he's already come in Christ, and and he's not absent from us now, though he's with us always, even to the end of the age. So so we don't focus on all those things here in this end of the church year, but we zoom in especially on the last day and what that means. And, and, And I'd say there's probably at least three themes, judgment, right, the judgment of the world, our, our death and, and being mindful of, of our mortality, coupled with a, a hope in the resurrection. And then what goes with that? All of Jesus' warnings on our attitude now. And if you're going to sum that up in one word, it would be watch, right? Mm. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour. So we are always an expectant, hopeful people uh, looking for his return. 
Yeah, there's a lot of crossover between the end times and Advent. We were just looking through the, the list of hymns for end times and half of them are Advent That's hymns. right, that's right. So. <laughs> Why do we have that? I mean, you kind of just explained this, but but how does that? how is that helpful for us to have that crossover of, of all of these things kind of all melding together within, what, two weeks of our church here? We wouldn't have hope for the end. I mean, if it's destruction, if it's if it's as bad as the scriptures actually say the last day will be, no one's really like excited to be alive when that happens. It's going to be terrifying in some way. And yet, as Christians, our temper, our terror is tempered by our confidence in Christ Jesus, but the certainty of what his blood shed for us has accomplished. So for us, we never want to hit the last day without the second coming, without having the first coming of Christ very clearly in our mind. We want to be those who are looking to greet him as our Savior. We want to be like the apostles when the angels came, right? Why are you looking up into heaven? Don't you know that the same Jesus that was taken from you into heaven will return in the same manner that is powerful in his majesty on the clouds could be terrifying, but but for those who know him, it's it's a blessed delight. So, so we want to be those who are not surprised, not mm-hmm. caught off guard, but but eager and glad to receive him, right? Even so, Lord, quickly come. And the things that we say even so to are all the things that we both love and despise in this world, right? Even Even this radio show, as great as it is, even so, Come quickly, Lord, right? And so we're, we're a little more eager to say that about all the bad things, but the great things too, uh, even our great achievements, right? So, Look at that. He's even, you know, giving us accolades. <laughs> you guys are in the good spot. Eh? <laughs> that was real subtle. So then how do we observe this as the body of Christ in our congregations? What are some of the things, I, I know we've got a break in just a minute here, but what are some of the things that we might hear, read, speak, on Sunday, the, the last Sunday of the church year, as congregations, what might pastors be preaching on, or what are we going to chat about here in a little bit? Yeah, I want to clear up after the break some of the liturgical questions since I'm the Ooh. director of worship. Yes. It gets goofy at the end of the year, especially <laughs> if you're in the old lectionary, the one-year lectionary. The three years kind of solve that problem for us. So, But what we're going to hear, no matter which lectionary or which year of it you're in, are the texts, especially from Jesus in the Gospels, talking about the end of the world. He always couples it with the destruction of Jerusalem. (laughs) He couples it with his disinterest, frankly, in the temple, because he himself and his body, which will be torn down and raised again on the third day, that's the real temple from which our salvation comes and which we have our hope. So so we're going to hear from him. Familiar parables like sheep and goats, the wise and the foolish virgins, but also um, some of the more confusing things maybe, like what does it mean when the uh, abomination of desolation stands in the holy place and it even says, let the reader understand, and I'm not necessarily sure as a reader that I always have. So once you get into the apocalypse, which is to say revelation of the end of the world, the last day, you start to echo the prophets. And and the way the prophets saw the last day dimly as all the things the scriptures say, not as clear as we do who know Christ who has come by name in the flesh, um, they see all of it piled up together. It's like you're looking at three dots through a straight line. If you're in line with them, you only see one dot. If you were to turn to the side, then you could see all three spread out. They saw the coming of the Lord and his judgment of the world, and his saving and establishing of the kingdom all is almost like one day. 
the day. <laughs> and yet we see in Christ, we see in, in the time we're living right now, which is the day, the last times after the Lord has come, there's a little more to explain about it, right? So uh, that we have a first coming of Christ and a second coming to look forward to. And that we in these perpetual end times here between his ascension and his return are still living in that day. And so we're always watching. We're taking a look at the last Sunday of the church here with the Reverend Sean Denzer. He's director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and chaplain for us here at the International Center. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We're taking a look at the last Sunday of the church year. Is it of or in the church year? Uh, <laughs> I think of. Of the church year. <laughs> last Sunday of the church year. Ultimate with... Sunday. Ultimate Sunday. <laughs> Ultimate Sunday. It's going to catch on, guys. That is fantastic. <laughs> Our guest today, <laughs> Chaplain Sean Spencer. Wow. <laughs> Ultimate Sunday. Hopefully you heard the first segment, so you caught the reference to that. Otherwise, you're going to think we're <laughs> being really? very irreverent. Um, so... W- w- we got a we got a picture of what this last Sunday of the church year is about, what the theme is, and where the the text is going to take us. Now, what are we going to do in the last Sunday of the church year? What are we going to sing? What are we going to pray? Um, all those good things. If you're in the three year, it's very easy for you. This is kind of one of the big changes. Is as we talked about, I think the last time I was on the show, Easter has always thrown a wrench in our kind of common Christian worship because there was a big fight on when is Easter, and even now that we're pretty much agreed, at least in the West, on where Easter is. East still disagrees with us, but not that, of course, that it affects our faith. But um, Easter moves around in the West, and that means you have more or less Sundays after Trinity or after Pentecost. How do you deal with that? Mm -hmm. The three-year lecture has done a unique new thing, which is to start at the end and count backwards, and so you end up omitting Sundays from the beginning. We label them proper 1 through 29 ABC for the three years, Mm -hmm. and uh, you end up losing 1, 2, 3. You hardly ever get those. And you always end up with progressing all the way to the end of those Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, and you get to the last reading they want to read on the last Sunday. The one year has been very different you would pull from the end almost always. In some places, they would replace those Sundays into the Epiphany season, right? So you'd always get the same readings, but they might move around. Another common way, I think one of the most common ways, was either to play the Sundays out, Trinity 22, 23, 24, we're done. Or to go Trinity 22, 23, 24, as in this year, and then skip all the way to the last Sunday. So surprise, it's the end. Uh, I like that kind of. Uh, 
Others, sort of an imitation of something that was older among us, which was Advent as a longer season, a season that went back 40 days, roughly, similar to Lent. In fact, they even called it in some places St. Martin's Lent because it kind of started on St. Martin's Day, November, mid-November time. We've kind of lost that in the Western Church. The fast before Christmas still begins on November 14th in the Eastern Church. So in a sense, they've kept more of that fasting character here at the end. But but in imitation of that, some of them would jump to the last three Sundays of the one-year lectionary church year, and then you get a sort of mini three-Sunday end-time season, all of the readings, sheep and the goats, the proclamation of the judgment, and uh, sorry, those are flipped around, and then the uh, ten virgins uh, really do fit well, and the epistles match with them as well. So there's a third way, or another way to do it yet, where you jump at St. Michael too, and I'm a little fuzzy on where that comes from. But you see how it's a little confusing how to end the church year. In a way, the three-year people have it very easy. You just just play them out, skip at the beginning. So... (laughs) All right, that's the what. We want to talk about the meat of it, though, like you said. Where are the scriptures? We already talked about the passages where Jesus is teaching about the end of the world. In Matthew, that's chapter uh, 25, almost entirely. In Mark, it's chapters 12 and 13. In Luke, it's uh, 20 and 21, which is very interesting because here Jesus is doing this right before his passion. But but Luke 23 is the last Sunday of the church year in year B when, excuse me, in year C when Luke is the gospel. And uh, so that's very interesting. We hear Jesus being proclaimed as the king of the Jews and, uh, and that he is uh, standing there and telling us not to weep for him, but to weep for ourselves, which is a theme of repentance that's common to watching for the Lord's coming. So these are the focuses. The epistles that go with them are almost always easy to find where Paul's talking about the resurrection. So 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, one of my favorites, and other things talking about looking forward to the end and the return of Christ. 1 Peter has a lot on this too, the end of the world. And so uh, again, those three ends that we have in mind, the end of my life in particular, the end of the church year, and the end of the world itself leading into eternal life. All good stuff. What about prayers, collects, hymns? What do you want to dig into? There, there are so many end times hymns, and there, and end times hymns that felt weird in my, in to my brain. But there's so many good ones, and and a few that uh, follow along with the the parables that you were talking about. Uh, do you want to dig into a hymn first? Oh, let's go to hymns. I, yes. You caught me off guard. I don't have the collects oh, as right. well done, but lots we'll of hymns. hymns. <laughs> I think I would like to start with in Lutheran Service Book 508, because this is really the quintessential Lutheran hymn on the end in the Last Judgment. In some ways, it's drawn on a much older hymn, the Gregorian chant, Dies Irae. Uh-huh. Uh, some people probably know various famous composed settings of this by classical composers and Mm -hmm. church music. It was in the Lutheran hymnal from 1941. It had a very happy tune, which I kind of liked. (laughs) So you're you're singing in a major key and you're singing about everybody's going to die and and then they'll be judged and there'll be terror everywhere. Day of wrath, day of... But the amazing thing is that hymn is actually a very evangelical hymn. You get to the end and and it puts in our mouth a plea and a prayer of faith to Christ. You know, remember me, Lord. Keep me among your favorite sheep, not among the goats. Remember what your blood has paid to rescue me, right? So you see that this, even though it starts out about judgment and wrath, which is a real part that, frankly, we just aren't 
willing very often to grapple with in the Bible, that Jesus is the chief teacher of the judgment of the world and death and hell. He really is, but that he also is the one who rescues us from that. And uh, so, so that old chant, which had its place both at the Requiem Mass and also at this time of year, that sequence hymn, uh, really is the foundation. And uh, the Lutherans, in some ways, improve on it. They definitely amplify, again, both sides of it, the, the fearful judgment, the, the need to um, repent, the need to watch for the Lord's coming and not be caught off guard, uh, which traditionally is connected with not be caught off guard thinking, I can sin now and I can repent of this later. Hmm. Watch out, there may not be a later. That's the message. But that the, the Christians who are awaiting Christ coming joyfully are looking at it because they know the Savior who's paid for them. They know that their name is in the book of life because Jesus has said, you are mine, I baptized you, I've claimed you as my own. So this great hymn by Bartholomus Ringwald is fantastic. The day is surely drawing near. It has a pretty happy and upbeat tune, which which I like <laughs> the contrast a lot. And this hymn is so good, frankly, at answering all of those weird questions about death, about the resurrection. What's the last day going to look like? It does a really good job of unfolding that for us, drawing from all of the different places in the Bible where it speaks about the last day in slightly different ways and, and comprehending it for us. Even though even I don't exactly know what the end of the world is going to look like, we have all of these images from the scriptures, uh, all of these revelations, and this ta- dra- draws it together so nicely. Kind of like, i got to give credit to the small catechism on this, <laughs> is there any better and simpler explanation than this? On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. And that that sums it up. And if you're ever confused about how the end of the world goes, start with that. Mm. This hymn is, uh, sorry, I got to jump in. That's fine. This is like the one place in the hymnal you get to sing, then fright shall banish idle mirth and flames on flames shall ravage earth as scripture long has warned us. It's pretty, uh, pretty intense there. It is. There used to be a lot more stanzas of this character in our Lord's Supper section. They Ah. tend to fall out. The woe to those who cast aside this Mm -hmm. grace so freely given. Those stanzas tend to fall out, unfortunately, of our uh, our modern sensibilities, but they're very biblical. Again, Mm -hmm. the gospel readings where we learn most about hell, about the final judgment, about the warnings not to take it lightly, these come from the mouth of Jesus himself. So, so it's very important that we have this end times season and that we uh, hear at least one of these teachings from Jesus. I think we have time for one more hymn. Do you want? I'm sorry. No, there's so many good ones. <laughs> there's always a, a Philip and Nikolai's "Awake, Awake, for Night Is Flying." Yeah. If you well, if you don't know it, you definitely should learn. A multitude comes from the east and the uh, west. This is five ten, yes. and this draws on one of the texts that's not in the one year lectionary, but it was always sung in Sweden, which is where it comes from. Certainly on la- on some of the last Sundays, right? That the the end of the world is a banquet. Mm-hmm. God's going to be drawing into eternal life all of His guests at the at the wedding feast, and in in our lectionaries we tend to hear those a lot earlier, kind of along the way. But but this is great that it brings all of those texts into a culmination. Similar to that is the bridegroom soon will call us in the Advent section. But you you mentioned it already. For us as Lutherans, the number one gotta have it end times hymn is "Wake, Awake, for <laughs> Night is Flying." It has, it has the title of being the king of the chorales, and uh, and rightly so. And it's it's fantastic that Philip Nikolai, who suffered so much as a pastor in in the Thirty Years' War and and being kicked out of his kicked out of his post multiple times. Uh, 
Here he writes this hymn that is joyful. He turns that kind of frightening parable about the virgins who get not locked out. I don't know who you guys are. And he focuses on the wise ones and says, how great it is when our bridegroom comes and welcomes us in, not as bridesmaids, but as the bride herself. He ties in the second stanza that this is uh, foreshadowed in the Lord's Supper, a feast before the big feast already. And uh, interestingly, if you take all the words of this hymn and center justified in your in your uh, word document, you'll find that it kind of forms the shape of a chalice. Nikolai's pretty good, right? It's so cool. And, uh, and, and we have the beautiful description that I hope everybody knows, right, where it draws these images of what eternal life and heaven and the resurrection is going to look like, right, of one pearl each shining portal. Imagine how big those oysters are. And, <laughs> you know, and, you know, no eye has seen the light. No ear has heard this. And yet we've been told in advance what to expect, the Lord's glory. Eternally, we're going to be singing hymns of praise and joy to thee. And until that day, we'll start over next Sunday, I guess, with uh, Savior of the Nations come and look forward again. Amen. And our guest today, the Reverend Sean Denzer. He's director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and chaplain for us at the International Center in St. Louis. Chaplain Denzer, thanks so much for uh, pointing us to this last Sunday in the church year. Peace be with you. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golsa. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere.